Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I believe that he's a great God and he's still doing great things in our lives. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful that we have this so great of salvation that the Bible talks about. And uh, really, really, there's not enough adjectives to describe how wonderful it is. This is a beautiful thing to be able to receive this wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost, to have your life altered and changed, not just temporally, not just for a little while, not just as many of the uh, solutions of this world that only last uh, just for a few weeks or months or whatever, but this is something that literally changes you for a lifetime. Praise God. And I'm thankful that I know who Jesus is this morning. How about you? Praise God. I feel His Spirit in this house today. I believe God wants to meet with us, wants to speak to us in this place. There is a work of the Holy Ghost that He wants to accomplish in this house. And I want to be open to receive from God. Did you come open to receive from the Lord this morning? I was praying earlier in the prayer room in the fellowship hall before service and might I just put a little plug in for that uh, that really is an important thing that we be involved in the prayer meeting before service and uh, just there praying and, and one of my constant prayers this morning was Lord I want you to help me to be open to what you have to say let my heart not be closed you know God, there's one thing that he will not intrude upon, and that is a closed heart. He's not going to trespass on a person's heart that is not open to him. But if we're open to God, he'll speak to us. and He'll talk to us, and he has a word for us. And uh, there's things that he wants to do in our lives if we'll only allow him to do so. But he created us uh, with the ability to make that choice, whether we'll allow him to come in said through the writer, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Amen. He wants to come in. He wants to sup. He wants to sit down at the table and reason together with us. But it's only us that can allow that to happen. I want fellowship with the Lord this morning. I don't want to have a closed door when it comes to my heart being open to God. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, invite your attention to the book of Genesis chapter 19, book of Genesis chapter 19, I want to say it's quite an honor to have all of our uh, guests here this morning, we're thankful that you have chosen to be with us here in this service, we're thankful that you're here, I remind you that we have service tonight at uh, 6.30, we're going to have another great time in the Holy Ghost. You know, one thing about our services here at Landmark is really every one of them are uh, a little bit different from the other. One thing we, I hope, have in common with all of our services is that we let the Holy Ghost move and let the Holy Ghost work, but they are a little different in the dynamics of the service. So um, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say if you don't like this one, come back tonight. You'll probably like it. And if you don't like it, come back Wednesday night. We'll, we're bound to have something you like around here. Praise God. So come on back and be with us. Genesis 19 and verse 15. It would be good if I could read from the beginning of the chapter. Because of the familiarity of this story, maybe I can lean upon your past uh, understanding and study of this and just read a couple of verses here beginning in verse 15. And when the morning arose... Then the angels hastened Lot. They were trying to hurry him up, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Judgment's coming. It's time to get in a hurry. Destruction's coming to this city. It's time to make haste. It's time to flee this place that God has already targeted for destruction. But notice 
verse 16. Verse 15 tells us that the angels hastened Lot. Verse 16 says, and while he lingered, everybody say lingered. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand. This is those angels. And upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful, everybody say merciful, unto him. They brought him forth and set him without the city. While he lingered, the angel said, maybe you didn't get the message, Lot. Time is of, of essence. We've we got to make some quick decisions here. You don't have time to think about this. But the Bible said, while he lingered, those men grabbed a hold of him and said, come on. We've got to get out. Judgment's coming. And I simply want to preach what I feel that the Lord has really stirred me up about here this morning, and that is lingering in the danger zone. Lingering in the danger zone. Let's lift up our voices to the Lord, and would you help me? Let's pray together that God would anoint, that God would speak, and that God would have his way in this place. Jesus. God, we understand that we desperately do need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I'm praying, God, for your divine touch upon this service. We realize, God, that there's souls here that need salvation. There's people that are in this room that are in danger of being lost. God, that's the reality. God, I know by what you've laid upon my heart and what you've talked to me about that there's people here that this service is a very crucial service for them. And I pray that you would touch their hearts and lives this morning. Let them be stirred by the power of your Spirit. Let conviction deal with them and stir them again. In Jesus' name, and would you worship him and let's praise him right now. Come on, everybody, let's worship the Lord. We need him today. Come on, let's, let's really open up our hearts to him and give him praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Thank you for standing and maybe seated. I touched on a few things about this particular story in the message Wednesday night. I mentioned that there is no evidence early on in Lot's life where that he ever had a real relationship with God. The Bible simply says that when Abraham was called out of the air of the Chaldees, that Lot went with him. It never says that God dealt specifically with Lot or that Lot had any real experience with God at that moment in time. It really does not mention anywhere where he developed any kind of real relationship with God through prayer, through sacrifice. While we read about Abraham building altars over and over again, I don't find any altars early on where Lot ever built them unto God gave sacrifice unto the Lord. We see many times where Abraham made commitments and promises to God and covenants with the Lord, but I don't find many covenants that Lot made. There is absolutely no evidence that Lot ever had the same or even remotely similar relationship with God. Lot never really walked with God. He simply walked with Abraham who walked with God. And I see this repeated not only in the Word of God over and over again, and I gave a few examples of that Wednesday night. Joab walked with David who walked with God, but he himself did not walk with the Lord, and there was consequences for that later on in his life. You could see that the influence of God was not there. And so, uh, consequently, we know that the end of Joab was not good. And then, of course, there was Elisha and his servant Gehazi. Gehazi, he never really walked with God.
Elisha. He walked with him. He waited upon him. He helped him. He was obedient to him. But he himself never, never developed a relationship with the Lord. And as a result of that, we know that he contracted leprosy from Naaman and he died a leper because he never developed a relationship with God for himself. I've seen this repeated in our generation. This is not just a biblical example that we have, but we have modern time examples of this. We see parents that walk with God, have a relationship with the Lord, love God, come to church, are faithful to God, have made a commitment to the things of God, have built an altar, if you could say it that way, in their life. But though their children come to church and though uh, they frequent the house of God, they're around the same environment and atmosphere. They have the example of praying parents Parents that live the life, that are genuine, that are not hypocritical in their relationship with God, yet for whatever reason, they never develop a relationship with the Lord themselves. And though they may go along for several years, and uh, they have this godly example before them, sooner or later it's going to be detected whether or not they personally have a relationship with the Lord, whether or not they really love God for themselves. The Bible talks about receiving a love for the truth, and it tells us the damnation of those that do not. It says that they will believe a lie and be damned. It's so easy to be deceived in this world if you don't receive a love for the truth. If you don't develop a love for God for yourself, as long as it's somebody else's conviction, somebody else's philosophy, as you say, somebody else's lifestyle, and it never becomes a part of you. It never gets down in the heart of you as an individual. It never takes root in your spirit. Sooner or later, Somewhere along in life, it's going to be able to be detected. I've seen it not only uh, in parents and children, but I've also seen it with pastors and churches. I've traveled enough to see pastors that were sincerely striving to have revival, striving to do the will and the work of God in their local assembly striving to stir up people to live righteously and separated lives and, and uh, commit themselves and consecrate themselves to God. But yet, it never caught hold within that congregation. Though it was preached, though this man was godly, though his, his life was an example, though he, he did everything right, he preached the Word of God. Whatever Whatever it is, I cannot explain it. I cannot give you the reasons for it. But for whatever reason, it never, it never got into the heart of that assembly. It never was passed on to that church. And consequently, no matter how great that man was, if that church was not open to receive, if that church was not sincere enough to hear the voice of God, if their spirit was not open to be teachable, no matter what the efforts of that godly man, no matter how much they were expended, it, it just seemed like it never got in. It, it never was able to become a part of them. Their convictions never, or his convictions never become their convictions. His consecrations never became their consecration. His level of commitment never became their level of commitment and so on. We see it even in a church that's been around for generations. A lot of times within a church there will be elders that are connected to the beginning days of that church. They remember the sacrifices, the blood, sweat, the toil, the tears that went into the building of that church. They are part of the very foundation of that church. Matter of fact, 
It's because of their sacrifices that the church exists. But now, three or four generations later, uh, their grandchildren, great-grandchildren as it is, it seems like they, they don't have the same level of consecration. They don't even have the same appreciation for the church. Uh, they don't look at it with the same, uh, uh, same amount of respect. Uh, they don't have the same passion about it. Yeah, they belong to it. They're a part of it. They identify with it when it's convenient. But they don't have that commitment there. Because they've walked with people that's walked with God, but they themselves have never walked with the Lord. They never dug out a relationship with God. They don't know what it is to live in a life of sin and degradation and debauchery and addicted to the things of this world and really want to change. They don't know what it is to come as a first-generation Pentecostal down an aisle as a wretched sinner and fall in an altar and repent of their sins. And they don't know what it is to feel the the heavy burden of sin being lifted from their life because they've been in this cubicle. They've been in this sanitized environment. They've lived their lives, amen, so sheltered that they cannot respect what it is to be delivered from sin. And sadly, so many people have to learn for themselves. They have to go out into the world. They have to experience it. They've got to get their own scars, as it were. They've got to go out, and and then they come back ravaged and just a shell of what they could have been. Their potential's wasted. And after years of their life are expended in the things of this world, they come back and uh, they repent of their sins and realize that, you know, Grandpa did know what he was talking about. Grandmother did live for God for a reason. This is, this is the real life. This is the only good life that there is. Sin leaves me so empty and devoid of any real happiness or joy. Uh, sin leaves me, amen, scarred, and it leaves me battered, and it leaves me bruised. But I'm thankful that uh, we're here today in the presence of God. I'm thankful that we still feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost, that God still reaches and God still stirs and God still moves on the hearts of men and women. The real danger in walking with someone that walks with God but never really ever developing a relationship with God yourself. It's not enough just to know elders that walk with God or to have parents that walk with God or a preacher that walks with God, but somewhere along the way it's got to be transferred to you. You've got to get it in your heart. You've got to dig out a prayer life. You've got to learn how to be faithful to God. You've got to come and say, you know what, I may not always feel like it. It may not always be convenient, but my con- conviction and my commitments run deeper than that. I'm not just going to be a a fair-weathered Christian. I'm not just going to be tossed on the waves of life. I'm going to be anchored to something. I'm going to get my life fastened down to something. When the storms of life come, you're going to be able to depend upon me. You can't build a church. You can't have a real sustainable revival. You can't really have a real church that is strong and stable in these times that we're living in if people don't develop it for themselves. As long as it's what the preacher's doing and as long as it's just a few elders in the church, it'll never go much further. But but somewhere, somehow, we've got to transfer it down to the next generation. Amen. And if the Lord Tarries, let it let it be transferred on down to the generations, uh, Amen. That 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 they would know that they would possess, uh, that they would have the same passion, the same drive, the same desire, the same level of consecration. You see, you can be passive about it and say, "Well, young people, they're young, you know. They're they're kind of in their early stages of life. They kind of got to figure this out for themselves." I'm going to tell you something. When there's young minds that are just given to figure things out on their own and themselves, somebody's going to define that for them. 
Somebody's going to set the perimeters of, of their potential. Somebody is going to tell them how to live, and somebody's going to influence them on their decision. It might as well be born-again apostolics that believe the Word of God. You don't need to back away, shy away, or feel intimidated by this world. I would much rather be the influence than to let this world be the influence. Amen. Yeah, I'm not going to let the world set the perimeters on my family for morality. I'm not going to let the world develop the rules that we're going to live by when it comes to morality. I'm not going to let the world set the perimeters that we live by when it comes to integrity and living for God. No, sir. Amen. That is our responsibility. It's the Word of God that is going to set those perimeters. It's time someone stand up for the Word of God. It's time somebody, amen, realize in this hour that this world is going to keep on ebbing away and taking away and robbing us of convictions and things we believe if we don't stand up for it somebody's got to be willing to square your shoulders look the enemy in the eye and say no not here not my family not my church amen not my people amen I'm going to stand I'm going to be willing to fight praise the Lord amen and because Lot never never ever received a real relationship with God early on in his life it's noticeable when Lot is allowed to make his own choices. As long as Abraham's making choices for him, it's easy. Amen. All he's got to do is follow Abraham. But when this strife rises between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot, he said, This can't be. We be brethren. He said, We've got to figure this out. We've got to, it, it, this is not good. You're going to have to separate yourself from me. And so for the first time, we really see in the Word of God, Lot is able to make his own choice. That's when you discover what people really believe. Amen. That's, that's when you discover who people really are. It's one thing when you've got to make decisions based on what your parents, amen, or, or others around you, or maybe even your preacher but when you're out there, when you're alone, when nobody else but you is left to make the choice, that's when we're going to find out where, what really you're made of and how deep your convictions are, how really consecrated and committed to this thing you really are. And uh, so he beheld with his eyes, and this is a problem. You see it over and over again. Uh, people, they, they go with what they think looks good, what they think they're co so concerned about how it looks, how they look, how, how it's going to be perceived by the world and people around them. I'll, I'll look successful if I make this decision, Lot said. If I go towards this direction, it's obvious. It's a logical decision. Let me tell you, not all godly decisions are logical decisions. Not all godly decisions. Now, we know in a pure sense it is the most logical decision to live for God. But it doesn't always appear that way at first. But in the end, it's always the most logical thing to live for God. Come on, it's not only a good life living for the Lord. It's a logical thing if I have to prove this point. It's a logical thing to abstain from ungodly lifestyle. Look at all the things that you don't have to live with because you made a choice early on to live for God. You don't have to live with condemnation. You don't have to live with disease. You don't have to live with sickness. You, you don't have to live with the fallout of bad relationship. You don't have to live with all that because you made a choice and a decision early on. Amen. And it proved to be logical. But, but then it may not have seemed like the most logical thing to your flesh. I'm going to preach this morning, so you just buckle down the hatches and get ready for it because I feel like God's given me a word for this church this morning. Amen. I, every time I get up, I don't, have to, I don't have to call somebody's name and prophesy over you to be giving you a word from God. I'm telling you, when I stand in this pulpit and I've sought God, it's a word from God. I don't have to tell you your social security number and your last name. Amen. It's a word from God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and so we understand this is where he makes the choice and where he makes the decision, but he makes it based on what he sees. And when you make a decision that is not influenced by God, it's rarely the right decision. 
One man said we make our choices, but we are made by our choices. And sadly, our choices never just affect us, but they affect everybody that's under our influence and everybody around us. Lot's family, you've got to realize up until this point, had been a very nomadic people. They had been tent dwellers, sojourners, pilgrims, travelers. And for the first time, I want you to get the picture here, for the first time, Lot's wife gets down to gets to put down roots. She gets to have a home. She gets to set up housekeeping. You know, women, they like that. They, they like to decorate. They like to have their own furniture and set things up. Can you imagine living in a tent all of these years and, and just having to pull up stakes at, uh, at any given moment, at any whim? You know, Abraham said, uh, we gotta, we got to go Lot. we gotta, we got to travel on, so Lot has to go back in the tent and tell Mrs. Lot, you know, we we got to go on now, and and uh, I, well, why we why can't we stay here just a little longer? Well, that you know, Abraham said we got to follow God. We're 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 going this direction. We're we're sojourners, you know. We're not to put down stakes, and so we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So let's let's go, and 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 you know she has to pack everything up, and, and everything maybe she had it just right, and and uh, has to pack it all up, and they go on down the road. And, and to get to the next place, and maybe she thinks this is a nice place, got a good view. Uh, maybe we're going to get to stay here a while, and a few weeks later, here we go again. And it's all moving again. But this is the first time when they move to this area of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the first time that she gets to really build a home and have a life and have stability in a daily routine. And she feels secure. And for the first time, because up until this point, they had been so sheltered. They see sights that they had never seen before. They'd always, they'd always been around people that believe like them and, and had the same lifestyle that they had and, and served the same God that they serve and worshiped the same way that they worshiped. But now they're seeing things and they're being influenced by things and their children are being influenced by things that they had never witnessed or seen before. Can you imagine the first time they took a trip to downtown Sodom? And they're riding along on maybe their chariot or whatever it was. Maybe they're riding on the backs of their uh, horses or whatever. I don't know what it was. Or maybe just walking down through the streets and they see the sights and the hustle and bustle of the city. And they see uh, all of the sin and the debauchery and the cat calls of the world. And it's all there just for their eyes to see. It's not hidden. It's out in the open. Things that they never dreamed even took place are just out there in display. They've never seen anything like this all at all in their life. They've been so sheltered. I mean, they've always been godly people and worshiping people and righteous folks. And I mean, they had Abraham, their their forefather, Lot's uncle. I mean, he was a he was the the father of the faithful, a man of God, a man that heard from God. He was God's friend, the Bible said. He was so close to God. And yet, they're in this atmosphere and it's all around them, this environment. And I'm sure it was appalling to them at first when they looked at it and when they saw it for the first time, when they first laid their eyes on, 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 on men walking down the street holding hands together, I'm sure it, it went against the grain of their flesh. I'm sure when they seen some of the, the things and the sights that were out there in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, it disturbed them greatly. But you know, you live around something long enough. Come on, it's quiet in here. You live around something long enough. You know, I read something one time that said, first, the first way that things come into existence is just simply tolerance. If I can just get you to tolerate it, then we're one step closer to acceptance. And it won't be long until you will adapt to it. And then if you adapt to it, then it might be that you'll be a participant before long. But it starts with just tolerating it. Just tolerating. Oh, this is where we live. This is the world we live in. This is just how it is. I might as well accept it. I mean, when when there used to be so much conviction that they would hide their eyes and they'd say, Mom, Dad, I don't want to see that. That's not right now. They can walk down the street and it doesn't even bother them anymore. It doesn't disturb them anymore. I I'm, uh, lived most of my 
uh, growing up years and uh, or, or my elder teenage years in the state of California and uh, 80 miles from San Francisco. I know what it is to walk down the streets of San Francisco and uh, people that come come maybe from uh, off in the Midwest or somewhere, they come out to visit, they want to go to San Francisco and, and they look around at all the, the things that are there and the debauchery and the sin and uh, in certain areas of the city that maybe they would pass through and they would look around and, and, and it would be something that would be appalling to them and how could you live here, how could you live in this environment, but somebody that has lived around it long enough I have family members that live right in the city and it doesn't seem to bother them at all the sights that they see because it's the environment it's the atmosphere no are they participants no but they're tolerators of what's going on they're tolerators of what is around them and and I understand the laws of the land I understand everything about this I'm not I'm not saying that but what I am saying is sin when it becomes tolerated won't be long until it is accepted this is just the way it is and they begin to look around. They, they begin to take in the sights and things that used to disturb them, used to convict them, and used to shake them up. Suddenly it, it doesn't bother them like it used to. They can go downtown and shop. Nothing to it. Amen. And now Lot's children, though, the Bible gives us indication that Lot was still deeply disturbed by some things because the Bible says that when he looked around, it vexed his righteous soul. And now his children are getting entangled in the weave and the web of this world that they live in. And I'm telling you, homosexuality was not the only sin that existed in Sodom and Gomorrah. I know that that is the headline sin that we know them for, but I'm going to tell you if they were were that steeped in that lifestyle, I'm telling you there was a myriad of all kinds of debauchery and sin that was going on and immorality that was taking place. And though Lot's children, there's no evidence or proof that they ever went that far into that lifestyle, but there's got to be proof there that they were affected by the other sins that were going on in that city. And it affects Lot. But it all started because he never learned to walk with God for himself. He never got it. Abraham prayed and Abraham built altars. And Abraham made consecrations, and Abraham had commitment. But not Lot. He never got a hold of it. It never became a part of him. Amen. I'm telling you, you better let it get down in your heart to live for God, or one day you'll be swept away. And and you see, the more you adapt to something more you get tangled up in something, the more connected to it you become, even inadvertently, and you don't even realize it. Even though you may know that it's wrong, and you may not feel uh, that, that, that uh, you've totally given in, but, but when you're around something so long that it begins to have an effect on you, you begin to not only accept it, you kind of get attached to it. I mean, it's there. And uh, this is just part of my life. I, I drove in stakes here. We're going to stay here. This is where we're going to make a life. And Lot's temptation was not like, unlike ours. It was gradual acceptance to the world and the trends and the styles and the sin that was around him. And it crept its way into the way that they lived their life in Lot's family and things that Lot once adamantly opposed and things... Uh, that he once stood adamantly against. Now he was accepting and tolerating, and he learned how to adapt to it and how how to maintain. You know, just because we stay one little beat above what the world's doing doesn't make us righteous. Just because we stay one little notch above whatever the world's involved in doesn't make us righteous. 
I'm going to tell you there's only one measuring line, and it's not this world. It's this book. And you're not going to be judged by the world standard, but the Bible tells me at the end of time when we stand before that great throne, we're going to be judged by the words that are in this book. I'm not going to be judged by what my friend was doing or not doing. I'm not going to be judged by what my neighbor was doing or not doing. I'm not going to be judged by what the church across town was doing and not doing. I'm going to be judged by this book. So our lives have to align themselves to the Word of God. And so Lot, things that he once opposed, now he's involved in, or at least his family is involved in. Lot used to not tolerate his children looking or dressing or acting or talking like Sodom and Gomorrah. Used to disturb him. Now they don't even stand out. Lot, he used to he used to really have a problem. Amen. And he did not allow, he did not allow his family to be entertained by Sodom. But now, now they are. Lot once would have stood against participating in the things of the world. But now slowly, it didn't happen overnight, he became desensitized. familiar, too familiar with his surroundings. He was undisturbed. He learned how to make adaptions and just to live. And the Bible says that when these angels came to visit him, he still had enough sensitivity towards God to recognize that these were messengers sent by God. You know, we, we need to have enough sensitivity that when God sends us a message that we're able to receive and to recognize this is a message from God. That's the only way that David was saved when Nathan came and said, let me tell you a little story. And, and, and he said, who, who, who is the man? He said, I, I'll go and slay him. I'll go kill him. I'll make him repay. Amen. And he didn't even realize that the prophet was talking to him. He didn't see himself in the message. But finally, he made it clear enough to him. He said, David, you are the man. And when he said that, when he held up that mirror and said, I'm, I'm talking to the person right now that I've been telling the story about. David said, I have sinned. Amen. I need to repent. Amen. When God sends us a message, it's our response to that message that's going to determine whether or not we're saved. When God sends a preacher, when he sends a voice, and that's the only tool, that's the only method that God has, he said, we'll be saved by the foolishness of preaching. He said, how shall they hear except they be sent? Amen. I'm telling you, unless there's a preacher to preach in your world, unless there's a man of God that will stand up and make his voice heard, you don't have a prayer. You don't have a chance. But when there's a message that goes forth, we don't need to be sitting there saying, I know who he's talking about over there across the sanctuary somewhere. We don't need to be sitting there saying, I'm going to pull my finger over here somebody else he's talking to. You need to see yourself in the message and realize, hey, maybe the preacher's talking to me. Maybe there's some things I need to change. He recognized because there was a, there was a brother that, Abraham that never, never, never quit praying for his nephew. He never quit reaching out to God. God said, I'm going to go down there and wipe him into oblivion. He said, if you can just, you know how he works his way down from 50 all the way down to, if you can just find, if you can just find five sheep, five righteous sheep. He couldn't even find that. But those angels come on Lot and I don't have time to go into all the story how they came into his house and how the men of the city came and they were so sinful 
they didn't recognize. They could not respond to the things of God. They were so desensitized. They just thought they was like any other man. I'm going to tell you, when you get to the place you can't feel the Holy Ghost, you think this is just like any other thing that you go to, any other event, any other situation. Uh, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. You need to be able to recognize this This is a message from God. These are men of God. This is, come on, we are living in a world of sacrilege. We're living in a world of debauchery. We're living in a world that doesn't know respect. We're living in a world, amen, that is that has got their thumbs down on preachers and men of God and I know that there's been those that have failed but there's been other people that's failed that we still respect too amen I said there's been other offices and other other situations and other 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 segments of people that have failed just because you met a few bad policemen doesn't mean that you don't respect policemen just because you met a few bad leaders don't mean that you put all the leaders in the same category just because you met a few bad preachers don't put all preachers in the same column there is some men of God that still exist in this world today there's still some men of God that know how to hear from God that still pray that still are sensitive that still humble before God that still want revival that still want to do what's right that still love people enough to preach to them the truth They regarded them just like anybody else. They thought they were just average men. No. And they said, come on, Lot. we got to get out of this city. Judgment's coming. This place is already the target of God's judgment. And the Bible says these fearful words. It says, and Lot lingered. And Lot lingered. Come on, Lot. Why would you continue to stay in a danger zone? Why would you stay within a city that God has already targeted for judgment? I know there was the family ties and certain family members. He went to his sons-in-laws and he couldn't convince them. Maybe he was lingering to try to, to convince them and influence them to leave the city. I know that that was possibly one of the reasons. But he was so attached. He had lived around it so long and was so connected to it. It was hard to leave. I'm sure... He wouldn't have had this same struggle had it happened earlier on when he first moved to the city. Now he's lived there so long and he's become so adapt to it and it's become a part of his life and lifestyle. Now it's hard to leave. And he lingers and he lingers and he lingers and he stays another night and the next morning the Bible says that those angels went and grabbed he and his wife and two daughters by the hand and they pulled them outside of the city. I don't know, maybe this was some kind of miraculous happening that took place. Maybe they were standing there and suddenly now they're outside of the city limits. I don't know. We just have one little glimpse of what happened here. But we know that these angels said, we've got to get you outside this city. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. We've got to get you. You're going to be targeted. for. You're going to be destroyed. Escape for your life. Let's get outside. Does anybody hear what I'm preaching here this morning? Does anybody understand the seriousness of what I'm saying here today? He said, come on, we've got to get you outside of this place. This place has been targeted for the doom and the judgments of God. Fire and brimstone is going to rain down upon this city. Lives are going to be taken. They're going to be destroyed. The judgments of God are coming. You know, it's not important whether I come to church or not. Seems like that's the attitude of a whole lot. You know, church, you know, it's kind of a secondary thing. It's not important 
We used to call that backsliding. It's not important. My attitude towards the things of God, whether I'm able to tap into what God's doing, is not really important. When God's Spirit is moving, it's not important that I can be unmoved and untouched and unstirred and unscathed by the presence of the Lord. It doesn't bother me. You've lingered too long in the danger zone. You've become too acclimated to this world. You're, you're too desensitized to what's going on. You can play games in the house of God. Sin, I can participate and I can come and I can involve myself in a church service just like nothing's wrong. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Lot? You've lingered in the danger zone. I can be immoral and I can live any old way I want to and I can come shout on Sunday night too. I could flirt around and use the church as a connect point for my little prowl and my little immoral tendencies. I'm going to tell you, if that's your spirit and if that's your attitude, your days are numbered around here. I said your days are numbered because I'm praying that God would remove that from our midst. And I'm willing to take whatever it takes to scrape the walls of this house and get the leprosy out. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to burn it out. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to see revival come. And I'm not mean and I'm not, I'm not hard-hearted and I'm not an unmerciful person. I think anybody that's been around here any period of time knows better than that. But you know there's something different than when a pastor deals with you than when God deals with you. When God deals with you, it's much more severe many times. When God says, all right, that's enough. That's enough. Amen. I read about in the book of uh, Hosea, I read about Ephraim that, that God sent the prophet to Hosea many times and said, uh, or God sent Sent, sent his message to, to Hosea many times. It was the prophet said, go tell Ephraim, go, go tell him, go tell him this is what he needs to do and, and this is the message and, and if he doesn't, pestilence are going to come and if he doesn't, a famine's going to come and, and if he doesn't, a drought's going to come and if, and if he doesn't, well then, an enemy's going to come and I'm going to stir up an enemy against him and tell Hosea when he would go before the Lord, what do you want me to tell Ephraim this time? Until we read in the book of Hosea where he looked down at Hosea and said, I don't want you to tell him anything. What do you mean? You don't want me to tell him that there's a pestilence coming? You don't want me to tell him there's a famine? You don't want me to tell him that there's an enemy that's going to be stirred up against him? He said, leave him alone. Don't tell him anything. You know, the very worst thing that can happen to you is for you to be able to sit there with your smug face and just go to church and God never deal with you. God never trouble you. God never convict you. You be able to walk in and out of church and feel nothing. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. You ought to thank God every time you come to the house of God that there's a spirit that stirs you up, that you cannot be comfortable. that when I come, I feel terrible about the sin that's in my life. Amen. There ought to be something when you come into the holy presence of God that gets, gets you stirred up and you awake and you realize, I need to change. I don't know what else to do. I'm like Hosea before God. What do you want me to tell him? There's some of them, they won't hear me. They will not respond to me. They will not come to the altar. They will not change. I beg them to change. I've stood in my office and I've counseled and I've given you and dispensed all the wisdom I've got. What else do you want me to do, God? And if not for the mercies of God to reach down and grab a hold of the hands of Lot and those two girls and 
his wife and yank them out. Read it. It says the mercies of God. I'm going to tell you, some of you are saved. It'll be nothing less than the mercies of God. If some of you are saved, it's going to be a complete miracle because there's some of you that have grown so desensitized to what's going on. You, you've been raised around this. You think this is a game. I'm sorry. I'm just going to preach what the Lord gives me this morning. Amen. You think this is a game. You can go out and do whatever you want to do. Then you come running back in here. But one of these days, you're going to find the Spirit's door closed to your entry. shook himself and said I went not the spirit of the Lord had departed from me I don't always preach like this and you you know that but I feel that somebody's lingering in the danger zone this morning and God has sent a messenger and said come on out come on out don't stay don't stay in the city destruction's coming Jesus is coming soon hell do you know anything about hell do you realize that you're going to spend an eternity in a burning hell and I hear elders weeping even as I'm preaching and I see others that are totally unaffected why? Because they linger in the danger zone. I wonder if somebody right now wouldn't feel that angel reaching out for your hand, as it were. You wouldn't feel the mercy of God reaching for you. Come on. Get out of the clutches of that junk. Get out of the filth of this world. You can say there's nothing wrong with it if you want to. It's affected your spirit. It's affected your attitude. It's affected your outlook. It's affected your idea towards and your philosophy towards the house of God and the things of God. Your attitude towards the ministry has been affected. But ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I mean, what kind of spirit is that? Ain't nobody going to tell me when to come to church. And I'm not going to call nobody and tell them when I ain't coming to church. What kind of attitude is that? I mean, we're not here to run your life. We're here to get you saved. I said, we're here to get you saved. I said, we're here to get you saved. Amen. I'm not a dictator. I'm a man of God. I'm here to get you saved. Amen. I'm here to help you. You realize I'm not your enemy. Amen. But don't let your own flesh, your own carnality be the worst enemy in your life. Escape for your life. You realize how serious this is? Escape for your life. You realize that this could be the service that God gives you to get you out of the city? There's going to be sons-in-law's lot that's going to stay. There's going to be other family members that ain't going to make it lot. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is, but i got to get you out. i got to get you out. i got to get you out. So God sends a preacher. God sends a man of God to try to pull you out of sin. Somebody help me pray. Lot lingered. How long are you going to linger? How long are you going to stay there? How long are you going to sit between those pews and say, he's not talking to me? And I don't really feel any specific person here. I feel like this is a message for all of us. A message for me. I don't want to become so acclimated to this culture and this world and connected to it that I, I can't connect with God because really this, this life is just, is just temporal. It's only 60, 70 years at best and it's, it is fleeting and it's James said it's like a vapor and it's gone. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for eternity, friend. And whatever choices and decisions, ever how hard they may be, it's going to be worth it if I get to go to heaven. If I live for God and I, and, and, and I make it to heaven, it's going to be worth it. Whatever I have to give up, you say, I can't give it up. I'm going to tell you, you give it up in hell one way or the other. You give it up in eternity. You might 
might as well give it up in this altar this morning because one of these days you're going to be separated from it. People that couldn't quit smoking, they're going to quit smoking in hell. People that quit, couldn't quit sleeping around and being immoral, they're, they're going to quit doing that in hell. People, people that couldn't quit drinking and going out and partying on the weekends and coming back and shouting on Sunday night, they're going to do it in hell. People that had a lighthearted approach towards God, there won't be that attitude in hell. People that didn't have time to pray, they'll have an eternity to pray in a lake of fire. Come on, Lot. How long are you going to linger? How long are you going to stay? You're in the danger zone. You're in the danger zone. As that angel reaches down to take your hand, are you going to pull it away? As that angel of the Lord reaches down to grab a hold of you, are you going to pull back and say, not now? Are you going to come to an altar? Come on, Lot. You going to let pride stay in your way? You going to let your worldly attachments stay in your way? You going to let the attitude, I'm not ready, stand in your way? Or I got plenty of time. I wonder how many people are in eternity right now saying, I thought I had plenty of time. I thought there'd always be another altar that I could pray in and another preacher that would preach to me. Would you stand with me? Maybe we could pray with one another. Maybe we could pray with one another. Come on, reach over, husband, to your wife and pray. Wife, reach over to your husband and let's pray. I don't say this very often, but you mark this day on your calendar because this is a pivotal point for somebody. I don't know who you are or where you're at, but you'll never be able to go into eternity saying God didn't try to reach you this morning. You'll never be able to do it because God's reaching for you one more time. God's trying to stir your heart once more. How long are you going to linger? How long are you going to hesitate? You know, these altars ought to be filled already. I don't know what some are waiting on. Hallelujah. I need a word from God. I've given you a word from God this morning. I need God to speak to me. God has spoken today. God's reaching. God's speaking to us. Come on, church. Are we going to hear His voice? Or are we going to harden our hearts one more time? We're going to keep playing the game. Hallelujah. For above all else, I must above everything. be saved. Above everything. Above everything. For nothing, above nothing's gonna be worth it. You hear me? Nothing. 
I nothing, must nothing I'm holding on to. Be saved. Nothing I feel attached to is going to be worth it. For whatever you have to do to me, oh don't let don't me, let me don't be let me. lost for eternity. For above all else, I must be saved. For above all else, I must be saved. For above all else, I must be saved. And for whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost. For eternity, for above all else, I must be saved. And for above all else, I must be For above all else, I must be saved. Oh, for whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost. For eternity, for above all else, I must be saved. And for above all else, I must be saved. For eternity, for above all else, I must be saved. Yes, for above all else, I must be saved. And for, for above all else, I must be saved. And for whatever you have to do to me, oh, don't let me be lost. For eternity, for above all else, I must be saved. Yeah. For 
Jesus' name, you're dismissed.